We've been going through the book of Daniel. And I don't know if you've liked this series or not. really doesn't matter to me. I'm going to preach to you anyways. And the book of Daniel, we're, we're, we're approaching this a little bit differently. There are five challenges that they face specifically in the book of Daniel. And today, we're going to talk about integrity. Everyone say integrity. I once heard integrity defined as the ability to act and behave in public the same way you do in private. So that means whatever you do behind closed doors, you are willing to do those same behaviors, those same habits you're willing to do in a public setting. Daniel and his friends, you might have heard about last week, they've, they've been tested. Last week you learned they were challenged with idolatry of a nation. They're challenged to bow before a golden image, and they refused. They were placed in a position where they were asked to compromise their faith, and they refused. There's a story of an accountant, accountant for a big business, and he was running the books. And he was new at his job, but he had discovered a huge error that would cost the company millions in back taxes. And so he's figuring out what to do, and he sends, he sends the president of a company an email that says we need to talk, and he gets pulled into the president's office, and he breaks the news to the president. He says, we're, we're going to owe millions of dollars, and it could completely cripple our corporation. And the president is mulling it over, and, and they, they begin to discuss, how do we fix this? And eventually the president says, is there any way around it? The accountant said, well, there, there, there's things we could do, but it, it wouldn't be honest. And then the president, after mulling it over, he leans in quietly, and he says, could you make this all go away for $10,000? The accountant's sitting there and he's mulling it over and he quietly shakes his head yes. Then the president, he looks at him and he says, okay, so, so you've agreed you will do it. Would you do it for $500? And then the accountant says, who do you think I am? And he said, I already know who you are. Now we're just negotiating price. And I want you to ask yourself, do you have a price? What would you trade it in for? What would you sell it for? Because this is really the backdrop of what's going on in Daniel chapter 5. And it unfolds that here there, there's, a, there's a king, and this king has, has created a huge mess. We, you read about Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar created a huge mess. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, we skipped Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar is now gone, and we have a new king, Belshazzar. And there's, he's created a big mess of his kingdom, and then all of a sudden, God's man shows up, and, and we're going to see God's message written clearly on a wall here in a minute. But 
But the main subject we've been talking about, Daniel, Daniel is no longer a leader in the Babylonian Empire, even though, uh, even though Nebuchadnezzar had appointed him. And we don't know exactly why Daniel is not a leader, but it was, was believed that Daniel was either booted out or he stepped down because he was frustrated with the nation. There's no more mention of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel. But we're going to pick up Daniel chapter 5, and we're going to read almost the entire chapter. So I want you to be patient with me, but I think it's important that you turn and you follow along. It starts out in Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for 1,000 of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine... He gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted, everyone say wanted. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. So they brought these gold cups taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines, drank from them. While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So what he is doing is, here he sees what are these old relics, a religion that he no longer, that the, the nation no longer respects. He knows they're there. He knows what they represent, but he really doesn't care. He is showing how much greater his gods are. And so he is saying, hey, we're going to party with those old relics. We're going to party with that religion of the Hebrews. It was a mocking tone. And what he didn't realize, see, Babylon was the greatest nation on the earth at the time. Babylon was a great nation. It says they had somewhere worth of 20 years of stockpile or 20 years of supply. And so they were living off the fat of the land. And here he was, he's celebrating in his ignorance and his arrogance. Meanwhile, it is believed by scholars that that same night, the Medes and Persians are scattered around the outside of the town, ready to take it by siege, but he doesn't care. He's more worried about partying. He's more worried about showing his nobles a good time and that he is the great provider. And also in this mocking tone, he showed contempt for God and God's power. Pick up verse 5. It says, suddenly they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace. Near the lampstand, the king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright, his knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. And church, I am telling you that if you could only imagine seeing this for a second, that out of nowhere, a large hand comes out of nowhere and starts riding in the wall of this building, you are going to freak out just like Belshazzar, right? And here's the thing, as he is seeing this, this man is the sole authority of a nation. Are you with me? 
He's the sole authority of the nation. And I am telling you that anyone who is any form of power needs to be careful of allowing any ego or position to trespass the sovereignty of God. This wasn't a Jewish king. He was Babylonian. He wasn't the king of the Jews. He had nothing to do with that religion. His father did for a time. But he didn't. And I want this to be a word of caution to you. We know that one day every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Everyone's going to come under the judgment of God. Amen? But something that I've been pondering is is if, if you read the end times, if you read the end of Daniel, if you read Revelation, many scholars look at it as the United States not being mentioned in its writings. And I think that should show us that even our nation will not escape the judgment of God. Okay? And so here, here you have this king of the greatest nation in the world, and he decides that, okay, I see these words written on the wall. I don't know what it means, so I'm going to call the guys that are spiritual, right? I'm going to call all the spiritual people together, and they're going to interpret what it means. So he decides that I'm going to call in the magicians, The magicians couldn't tell him. I'm going to call in fortune tellers. The fortune tellers can't tell him. I'm going to call in the astrologers. He brings in all these spiritual consultants, but they come in during this party and they can't figure it out. As you can imagine, there's so much commotion going on. It gets so loud that it reaches his mother's quarters somewhere else off in the palace. I want to pick up verse 7. It says, The king shouted for the enchanters, the astrologers, the fortune tellers, to be brought before him. He said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and will have a gold chain placed around his neck. He will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But when the queen mother heard what was happening, she hurried to the banquet hall. She said, Belshazzar, Long live the king. Don't be so pale and frightened. There is a man in your kingdom who has within him the spirit of the holy gods. During Nebuchadnezzar's reign, this man was found to have insight, understanding, and wisdom like that of the gods. Your predecessor, the king, Your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief over all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers of Babylon. This man, Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. This man, Daniel, sounds pretty powerful. You hear about Daniel and all of a sudden, Belshazzar is probably thinking, why haven't I heard of this guy before? Right? Why was I not made aware? Or perhaps he was but ignored him. Okay? And it is 
is easy for us to read this story and, and we can prop up men like Daniel and think how great and mighty of a person he must have been. And this is the thing I want you to understand, church. It is not about the power or authority you carry in what defines you. Daniel was defined by his, able, his ability to explain riddles, interpret dreams. But this is what set Daniel apart. I want you to hear me. The obedience and integrity in the children of God can be called upon to change a nation. Are you hearing me? I think you and we as the body of Christ, we need to stop diminishing our ability or lack thereof and say, but Christ in me. Who is willing to sit there in obedience and following God and say, but Christ in me. I might not be able to do it, but Christ in me. That's what we need to declare, church. And so now we have a king that he has now heard about this man and the things that he can do. And he decides, if you can do this, I'm going to bestow you with gifts. I'm going to prop you up to the third greatest in the land. Guess what? Daniel's been there before. He's done that. Really doesn't matter to him. You're going to see a man that chooses instead to hold to his convictions. And what he does is, takes his moment. So he's standing before the king. I want you to picture this with me. He's standing before the king. And he decides to talk about the shortcomings of his father. Turn to verse 17. Oh. It says, Daniel answered the king, keep your gifts or give them to someone else. But I tell you, I will tell you what the writing means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. He made him so great that the people of all races and nations and languages trembled before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill and spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted to honor and disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. But when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance... He was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal, and he lived among the wild donkeys. He ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with dew, the dew of heaven until he learned that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of the world and appoints anyone he desires to rule over them. You are his successor, O Belshazzar. And you knew all this, yet you have not humbled yourself. For you have proudly defiled the Lord of heaven and have, the, have had these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that neither see nor, nor hear nor know anything at all. But you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. Can you imagine all of a sudden Belshazzar is thinking, who do you think 
you are to talk to me that way. He could have said, I only wanted you to interpret the words. I don't need a history lesson here. That was my father. I am in charge now. But Daniel took his moment. Daniel realizes exactly who he's talking to. He's talking to the man who has the ability to kill at will or allow someone to live at his will. And now Daniel's deciding, I'm going to challenge this guy who could take my life because he doesn't like what I have to say. But he decides it's more important to fear God in this moment than to fear anything the king has to do or say. Let's pick up verse 24. We're going to end through verse 30. It says, so God has sent this hand to write this message. This is the message that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, and parson. This is what those words mean. Mene means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was dressed in purple robes. A gold chain was hung around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. Let's pray. Lord, your words sometimes, it's, it's complicated. And Lord, we don't always understand your judgment. We don't always understand your ways. But God, there's a lesson to be learned here. And I pray that we will have soft hearts to accept it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're looking at Daniel. Daniel's this man of integrity, right? And I asked myself, how can we learn what integrity is? Because for some people, it is so hard to be defined nowadays. Would you agree? And I think there's three implications of integrity. And the first is going to seem simple, but it's quite complicated for many. To be clear about who you are. Be clear who you are. Daniel was a man of reputation. Obviously, we saw that the queen mother came down and she quickly referenced this man, Daniel. He was a life that, uh, that, that, that could be looked upon and easily defined as one that can be trusted. And I'm telling you, church, that if you choose to be mysterious in your behaviors and who you are, if you choose to be a chameleon, or worse yet, your actions don't align with your words, you will be of poor reputation. Proverbs 22.1 says, Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. 
I know you read that and you sit there and you try and correlate what that exactly means in your life and you're thinking, why can't I have both? And church, I'm telling you that maybe you can have both, but what if your principles and who you are and being true to who you are supposed to be is more important than making a buck? And I know many others have stated before, I've heard it before, I don't care what other people think. But I'm telling you, on the whole, how people perceive you is important. In 2001, I was, Wendy and I were in Papua New Guinea. If you don't know where Papua New Guinea is, it's the largest island in the world, and it's just north of Australia. We were in Papua New Guinea for two months for an internship. And the missionary that was there, Mike Brandt and I, we were out shopping. And we walked into a store. We got all our goods. We walked to the front counter. And Mike got out his checkbook and he started to write a check. The guy who was running the cash register started talking to him in pidgin English and telling him no, 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 no. And pointed at a sign hanging on the wall behind the register that said, We refuse to take checks from open Bible churches. And so Mike started arguing with him, and he's he's like, I don't understand. And he said, we have had many of your checks bounce. And all of a sudden Mike's like, no, 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 hold on a second. He said, that's not me. He says, yes, my checks also say open Bible churches. He says, that is a different part of the organization. I am not associated with them. Please trust me. Please let me buy these goods because I am a missionary. That is another church that you're dealing with, and I will have to deal with them accordingly. To them, it was guilt by association. They had a bad reputation. And so he refused to take Mike's check that day. Think about how a bad reputation not only can affect an organization to buy goods, but it gives a kind of perception, oh, I know what kind of person they are. And I am telling you that if you, are, if you decide that you have to protect who you are and how the public perceives you, you need to refuse to compromise. Here's the thing. When you are flexible on your priorities and commitments, you cannot be trusted and you will not be trusted. Have you ever done any work on your home? Have you ever hired out a general contractor? Who knows the lower the cost of the work is not always the best work, right? You know that either the quality of the material is going to go down or the quality of the work is going to down or possibly both. And I believe that the reason that Daniel was still not in leadership at the time is because that he was looking around and he saw people who were willing to compromise. See, when you refuse to compromise, you might find that you're going to lose friends. You're going to lose relationships. 
Because people of truly good character that refuse to compromise no matter what, they're hard to find. But others look at them as they're too rigid. Might describe it as they're wound too tight. They might look at that person and they say, come on, just let your hair down. Relax. Take it easy. But the reality is that person that is willing to compromise, that friendship that could be lost, when they're in need of someone they can trust, who do they go to? The person that refused to compromise. Daniel was trusted because of his character. But church, his character was formed out of his beliefs. That gets me to the second point of uh, integrity. You need to be clear about what you believe. Amen? You need to be clear about what you believe. And I got a very serious question. It's not rhetorical. It's one worth writing down. Do you know what you believe? See, in the simplest form, you might say, I believe in Jesus. I say, that's great, but tell me how you got there. Explain it. Tell me what that looks like. And so when I ask, do you know what you believe? Can you explain it to me? Can you break it down? Do you know what true integrity in Christ Jesus looks like? Now I want you to do something. I want you to put yourself in the dangerous shoes of Belshazzar for just a moment. You are putting yourself in the shoes of the king of Babylon. He has this frightening moment where he sees this finger right into the plaster on the wall and he calls for the sorcerers, the magicians, the tarot card readers, the psychics. And then he calls in this man who serves God. He is willing to believe in anything at that moment. Whatever can tell me what's going on here, whatever, who, whoever can tell me what this means, I will believe in that. And eventually he has to call on Daniel, who is cemented in his beliefs. Daniel, he's a guy that knows God. He's a guy that has searched for the truth. And when he found it, his beliefs did not change. In fact, in, D in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel and all of Jerusalem had been taken siege by Babylon. And so now he is in this foreign land in Babylon, and he was determined not to compromise. I want to read Daniel 1.8. It says, but Daniel. Everyone say, but Daniel. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. See, at the time, following God required a specific diet. And here Daniel was, he was looking all around, and he's seeing all these other people who were taking siege along with him. And he's saying, I'm not going to eat that. And they're thinking, what other options do we have? We have to. He's like, no, I can't. I cannot. And so Daniel refused because he was determined that no matter what, his beliefs don't change. 
Think about it. He has been now forced into a different culture, and it can be one of those situations where you either have to adapt or you're going to die. You guys know that phrase, right? Adapt or die. And when culture tells you what you believe is wrong, do you change your beliefs to placate the culture? Or are you willing to risk your life for the truth? Think ultimately it comes down to if you've sorted out what it is you believe. And I want to tell you, if you think that just seeking God on a Sunday is good enough, you're wrong. You're wrong. You need to be a part of one of our growth groups in the church. And I call it growth groups because what's going to happen is there's going to be discussion. There's going to be challenges in what you think and what you don't know and understanding what God is asking of you. You need to go home. You need to read the Word of God. You need to discover what your questions are from what you're reading. You need to ask a pastor or ask a leader in a church. You need to allow yourself to be challenged to grow. Now, many scholars believe that the reason Daniel still wasn't in charge at the time of Belshazzar, as he was under Nebuchadnezzar, he saw a nation quickly turn back to their other gods. And so one of two things happened. Daniel was either booted out of the position or he chose to step down. He chose to separate himself from that. And I'm going to tell you about the danger of living contrary to God. Contrary to who God is asking you to be. The first thing that I want to tell you is that it is a tool of Satan to deceive you, to lull you to the world's standards, that you compromise your beliefs. But I want us to be honest for a second. Sometimes Satan doesn't have to work that hard to get you to compromise. And sometimes you use Satan as your scapegoat for just fulfilling personal desire. When you think about it this way, maybe you are so desperate for a relationship that you discard the word of God to feel love and security. Or you have a group of friends around you that don't hold the same belief system. And eventually, by association, you begin to ignore the convictions of the Holy Spirit that He has placed on your life. And you give into things that you know you shouldn't be doing. The other reality is that we can also be easily swayed. Listen to 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. It says, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Sometimes something seems good, it feels good, and it seems to make sense, and you can like, I can see how God wouldn't mind that. But Paul, what he does is Paul warns us about false teachers and apostles that what they can do is they can entice us. They can tickle our ears, they can tell us what we want to hear, but it's contrary to what God wants. The American church has been lulled to sleep. Are you hearing me? 
the American church has been lulled to sleep to become accepting of things that are contrary to the word of God. So at some point, what we have to do is we have to draw a line in the sand on what we choose to accept, even if it costs relationships, if it costs friendships, family disowning you, losing your job. You have to stand on principle of the word of God. That's exactly what Daniel did. It takes guts to stand before the king of a nation and state, you have not humbled yourself. You have proudly defied the Lord. I'll tell you what this was for Daniel, though. It wasn't a moment about being bold or or having the courage. It was about honoring the word of God and not compromising his beliefs no matter the cost. That was what it was about and that's what it was about solely. That's why I tell you, I hope you don't have a price. I hope you don't have a price. Because church, the consequences of living contrary to God are greater than the consequences of living contrary to the world. And that's the third implication of integrity. You need to fear God more than people. And so you and I, what we have to do right now, that if you're convicted by the last thing that I just preached, the last... The, 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 the second part of this sermon, now we're on the third part, if you were just convicted by the words that I said, now what you have to do is you have to weigh the cost of what you're doing. You guys following me? You have to weigh the cost. See, Belshazzar, he wasn't weighing the cost. Sure, he was a partier, he was an entertainer, and he was worried about the people that he kept around them and showing them that he could be this great benevolent supplier and provider. He wanted to keep up appearances, and he prided himself as being the top dog. And what happened was he, his desire to please people caused his pride to also swell up as he saw them celebrate. And what he decided to do was dishonor the living God. So what God does is God comes in, he shows his sovereignty, his power through the, through the display of this handwriting on the wall. And church, you have been, he says you have been numbered or, or basically counted. You have been weighed and you have been measured and you do not measure up. And Belshazzar, what he was doing was he was measuring his standard differently than God's standard. And so God clearly sent a message that even the most powerful man at the world at the time had no power and had to submit to the authority of God. Church, if there's anything you get from this, I want you to get this. God's judgment is sure and final. His judgment is sure and final. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.10. It says, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. You and I, church, 
We need Christ and forgiveness to reign in your life. Do you know what it means to walk in forgiveness? To walk in it? To walk in forgiveness, and then Brian, if you could come up. To walk in forgiveness means that I have recognized who Christ is in me. I cannot be the person that I once was. And so now that I need to walk in this path of being covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, not committed to that old life, but walking in a new life. See, the moment that we choose sin over Christ, we're walking in that same defilement that Belshazzar was walking in all over again. Do you hear me? And so what we're doing is we're picking up that old thing that we once set down. And we cannot afford to do that. Church, because one day, each and every one of us, we are going to be numbered. We're going to be counted. We're going to be weighed. We're going to be measured. God's judgment is sure. Hopefully your salvation is too. It's what it comes down to. And the real question is, are you going to humble yourself? Not allow your pride to swell up. That you can recognize, I need to be under the authority and submission of the living God. You know what? For anyone who's been under my ministry for the last two years, you might say, Pastor, you push obedience a lot. You push obedience to the Word of God a lot. I'm going to tell you why. Once you have discovered the truth, you cannot afford to live contrary to it. I want to read for you Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. It says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Church, I'm going to make this simple. If you have been serving God for any length of time, You should be in pursuit of removing sin from your life, not introducing sin into it. Because each and every one of us will have to answer to God for what we've done. And naturally, we live against God's standard. So you and I are measured by God according to Christ in our lives. That is how we are measured. That is the unit of measurement. So it is up for you to determine, have I lived with integrity? Have I walked with integrity? Or you can ask yourself in this moment as the, as the prayer altar team comes down, have I compromised who I am and what I believe? 
Have I let Christ reign? Those are things we have to ask. Or do we need to cry out to God for forgiveness? 1 John 1.9 It says, but if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Church, it's like this. Confess, repent, choose to walk integrity, and you don't have to be specially appointed by God to walk as Daniel did, but but what I know is when you choose to, when you choose to just walk in that obedience, God is going to use you for his great work. But we have to humble ourselves first. So what I want you to do is I want you to bow your heads. There's a self-reflecting prayer I think we need to pray right now. Father, search my heart. Search the heart of the people here. And God, I pray for an openness. And God, even if they're not open right now, I pray for a handwriting on the wall moment. That God, we realize that Lord, you are watching that, God, we are all going to face judgment. And, God, I pray right now, we see how we will be measured. And, God, we have an awareness created in us about how much we need your Son. Holy Spirit, work on these hearts right now. God, I pray for a spirit of repentance to fall upon this place. That, God, there be a desire to run from sin. Lord, we know all of us have sinned. We're all in that category of sinner. But, God, I pray that we have people that say, I want to choose today to live contrary to the world. I want to choose today to follow God.